Hi, my name is Nick Craig, and this is the Leading from Purpose podcast. Welcome. I have a special guest today. Suilo Kadesang is a fabulous man. I've known him for a number of years. And right now, he is the chief group people officer for Discovery Limited. And Discovery Limited is a financial services business out of South Africa and has a worldwide impact. So, Suilo, thank you for joining me today. Nick, thank you for, for having me. It's, I'm looking forward to an opportunity to reconnect and dialogue with you. Take, it will take us back to many years ago when we, we engaged. So for our audience, would you be willing to share with them your purpose? Yes, Nick. Um, so my purpose is to liberate the potential uh, in people. And if I expand a little bit of why that purpose, many, many years ago, uh, I was fortunate that other people saw the potential in me. Mm. They took the step of liberating my potential. And I've been fortunate that I've really had a great career, great life, and it was only possible because of people liberating my potential. So uh, it just fits in nicely that uh, I've got to pay it forward and liberate other people's potential. So now where'd you grow up? So I was born and bred in uh, Soweto, a small place called Rockville in Soweto, mm. uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. My parents or my, uh, my family, my parents were blue-collar workers uh, for all intensive purposes. My dad was an electrician. Uh, my mom was a nurse. And I think they, you know, during their time, they had the challenges, and even to, my, to some extent myself, there were, we, there were challenges of uh, apartheid legislation and, you know, taking place in South Africa at the time. So which means just constrained, really, opportunities uh, for one to, to realize the potential. But somehow, in an interesting way, they were able to accomplish things that set us on, a, on an interesting path with, uh, for myself and my siblings. So when do you feel like somebody else saw you? and gave to you that experience that now so feels so strongly part of your purpose? You know, so I guess at the, the certain things that kind of, it manifested in a particular impact, and, I, and I'll come back a little bit to that, but I felt great. I guess at the time, you, you don't understand why people do what they do. So mm. you have that as a bit of a question in your head. Okay. But why me? Why, why are you deciding to put your hand on my shoulder and and help me be bigger than what was, let's say, possible. So that's kind of how I felt at the time. But as time went on, uh, and you end up embracing it, and you become, I felt extremely fortunate, and I'm grateful for all that's taking place. I don't take it for granted. I don't know why it happened, but uh, it did happen. And with that, I've always uh, made use of those opportunities just to make sure that, you don't waste them. So I guess it's gratitude is what I felt. And how, what, so you have a particular story that you'd be willing to share with us where you were given that opportunity and what was going on there? Yeah, so maybe you kind of wait, wait, all started. And I think, it, and this story is somewhat important to me, where it all started. One, if you, if you cast your mind back, let's say to about 19, in the 1980s, let me put it like way, that way, in the 1980s, so Soweto was uh, burning. All uh, students were out trying to destabilize the South African government because we wanted uh, to be liberated. And then around right about that period, there was um, a headmaster of a school called Gray High School 
who was ready for retirement. And um, his, um, his vision was that uh, he really felt that, you know, if you give kids an equal opportunity, they can accomplish as much as kids that call it were privileged. And so what he then did, and the, the guy's name was uh, Stan Atkins. What Stan then did is he went to schools in Soweto, in Alexandria, in all the townships, basically, and he asked the schools for uh, their kind of top students, um, you know, two to three top students in different, let's say, classes, got them together, put them through a weekend, effectively a weekend program uh, that he called uh, Gift a Child uh, Program. And in that program, he taught us English, maths, computers. And then uh, during holidays, we would then go away on camps. And uh, in during those camps, then there were, you were taught, I guess, uh, etiquette of how to navigate mm. a different world. Uh, from there, he went, he managed to raise funds through uh, private sector for scholarships, bursaries. You know, there was a selection process from that weekend program, a selection process for students to uh, get this, uh, these uh, scholarships. And then uh, through those scholarships, we were then placed in private, uh, in private schools, basically mainly around the Johannesburg area where you went into a boarding school. So my family was fortunate. I should say my father was fortunate because we managed uh, with my siblings, actually. So I've got, I've got two other siblings. I've got an older brother. I've got a younger sister. And we were all three managed to participate in this program. And we all three were fortunate to be selected for these scholarships. And uh, so my brother and I went to the same school. And that was a start, uh, Nick, of somebody recognizing a bit of potential and then working hard to liberate it. And I'm where I am today because of that experience. My substitute would be is that life has not been perfect. Do you have any particular more challenging parts of the journey where you think purpose really sort of came and helped you get through it? Yeah, no, I mean, life has really been, so I, I guess for me, in that formative side, right, because kind of that's where it started. In that formative side, I think you can, firstly, you can imagine taking a, a child from the township. English was not my medium of, uh, is not my first language, so it wasn't my medium of instruction or engagement anywhere. So uh, you get to this environment where, on the one hand, you will start to have doubts about yourself, right? Do you fit in? Do you understand the dynamic? Uh, why do you think you will uh, succeed? What I, what I did experience was a number of people, even, for example, classmates, who expressed this purpose in, a, in an interesting way by supporting me. So whether academically I had teachers that would make time available. I had this maths teacher, uh, Mrs. Brink, who would give me extra tuition during lunch so that I could, you know, uh, step up and continue to progress and develop my maths. What it does do, it, it, it starts to build confidence in you and it really got me to believe, and I, and I, I really, really, really believe that, that there's so many possibilities for people if somebody is willing to liberate the potential. So 
for me personally, I don't believe anybody's a finished article or born. I don't think somebody's born great. I think we become great through a potential being liberated. And that's kind of started from there. If I, if I cast back on the journey that I've been on from that period of time to, I guess, where I am now. If you look on the journey of your life, when do you feel like you were first really stepping into being the one doing that for somebody else? Because in some ways, these are stories of other people doing it to you and you sort of saying, well, I need to do for others what has been done for me because look at the impact it's had. But what's interesting, and I just want to put this as a, a sort of a coining this a little bit, is that I, I get to teach this program all around the world all the time. And I have gotten to work with a lot of very gifted leaders in my day. And I remember I was in one of the programs I'm running and um, one of my colleagues from Harvard Business School, Scott Snook and I are sitting there. And for every program you always sort of say, well, is there is there anybody here that you think is special, right? Because we get, we get to see a lot of people, right? And I remember then the program that you were in, Scott came up to me and he said, oh my gosh, have you hung out with Swelia? yet? I said, yeah. He said, he's our guy. I said, you're right. There's something about him. I says, he's got something. He's got that thing that it's like you can't you can't put your finger on it, but it's just there. So I think in some interesting sense, you know, both of us saw it as well. And in some ways, other people saw it in you. And I think the interesting thing is that you now know it, and then you realize that the challenge is how do you help other people access that part of themselves as well, yeah. right? It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. So I'm just curious as to, so, you know, do you remember when, when is a particular moment where you really gave that to somebody else? Yeah, so fast forward, Nick, a couple of years, I got appointed, I'd not joined Unilever. And one of the jobs that I was doing was graduate recruitment and development manager for the Unilever South Africa business. And what that entailed is me going to around the different campuses, uh, universities in South Africa, identifying talented individuals to join our business. And then um, when they joined the business, I then had responsibility for their formative development. The first two years of the development, I ran programs uh, for their development. So during that time, part of it was also trying to drive, I guess at that time, it was also trying to drive diversity, equity, and inclusion. Or, you know, um, and, and by the way, for in South Africa, that was very topical and, and very, it still is. So, so anyway, so what, 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 so I was going around these different campuses and um, really identifying talent. And there were moments where some of the talent was just not, it wasn't direct fit. So when we're using, let's say, a Western lens, or a, if I put it a privileged lens, you would, you would leave them. You would say, nah, they don't, they're not going to fit in. They're not going to make it. But there were times where I, I guess, based partly on my history, based on the context, I understood and saw some of the potential. So the, the number of let's say now, you know, colleagues and people that I remember at different universities actually being the catalyst for their employment into Unilever 
having to convince colleagues because we ran um, what was called a uh, cover-up session at the end, kind of when all the selection process is done, you then got to agree who do you going to make offers to. Having to convince um, executive, you know, um, uh, uh, executives or, you know, managers there that these individuals should be in our business. Fast forward forward, they join the business and transition is not always easy when you go from one area into the other. So there were a few that I, because I like them, we got on very well. I got close affinity. And the one story I'll tell you was there was a lady and now she's like a marketing director of one of the, one of the big banks here in South Africa. And I remember driving with her from Durban to Johannesburg, giving her a lift. And uh, she was now kind of year three, I think, of being in the employment. And because I was keeping tabs on her, her manager had shared with me that, um, you know, she wasn't really pulling her weight a bit and there were a couple of challenges. So in my drive to Joburg, it's about, you know, five hours drive, I decided to have a conversation with her. I said, so how's work going? Uh, how's experience? What's happening? And I was just trying to suss out whether in her mind had she made the shift that she was now in work and that she needed to show up in a particular way and that she understood the impact that she was having, you know, with her team. And at the time, she didn't. And um, so anyway, I, I said to her, listen, let me just give you a bit of uh, input. This is what I've gathered. And uh, this is why you should be concerned. And by the way, you've got fantastic, uh, even your boss is not questioning your potential at all. But they are, I think they are concerned about your mindset and uh, approach to things. Uh, you still, it still feels a little bit like you are still on university campus. You haven't transitioned into the world of work. How can I help you? So we had this long conversation. Anyway, less to say that, you know, what gave me joy is what came out from that period. And her and I have stayed so in touch that at some point she left Junilever. I brought her back as a marketing director when I was HR director of the South African foods business. Um, you know, at different organizations, we've stayed in touch. And, you know, I can really say her, her potential has been liberated. You know, she is doing phenomenally well, making a huge impact, um, both professionally and just uh, uh, to society through the job that she's doing and where she is. Um, and that's just, Nick, I guess, one example of how, and, and, and through that, it's, it's started to stay, even become much more ingrained in me. And there's a, there's a number of them. So, you know, the team that I, I run at the moment is uh, always going to go, we don't necessarily recruit from outside, we like to build. And that's another way, you know, getting young talent, you know, no experience. Uh, and I'm not really concerned about experience. I'm much more concerned about uh, mindset and attitude and, and then liberating, working with them making them bigger than me and uh, getting them into a number of different organizations where they're doing amazing things. I, I guess it's, it's sort of played around and come full circle and it reinforces, right? That when it happens, you really want to do it um, as, uh, as it happens, as it goes forward. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I've been asking people these days. If we take you and we look at the company you work for, the challenges and the opportunities that you face, and if we replaced you with someone who was equally capable, they had similar skills to you, right? 
similar abilities to you, a lot of what you're going to do, they would do just by the nature of they're not stupid. So if we take all that away and I ask you the question, well, what's the one or two things that only you're going to do or could do? Do you have a sense of what those things are? You know, Nick, in, in that regard, so when I was looking at organizations to join post my time with Unilever, the first piece is I did look for organizations that were kind of purpose-informed, if I put it like that, that were really the, the, what, what they were about. It was about purpose. And I'm extremely fortunate that Discovery is a purpose-led organization. So there's an interesting synchronicity between what informs Discovery and its business model, which is not financials, but it's its purpose, which is making people healthier, protecting them, keeping them safe. So the organization leads by through purpose. I, what I contribute and what I bring and what informs me and what drives me is liberating the potential in people. Mm -hmm. What is interesting is that one of the two values, there's about eight values that Discovery has, and culture is an important thing for Discovery because it is a secret source of what makes Discovery what it is. So it's it's purpose, it's culture, and then, yeah, there's a bit of business model, yeah, uniqueness that's in there. But when you speak to Adrian, the CEO, he'll always talk about purpose and culture and values, right? So two of those values, one is about great people, so getting great people, absolutely believe in great people. And the second one is liberating the potential in those people. So when I saw, <laughs> and then before I joined, <laughs> so before I joined, it's not that I knew that, right, before considering, but when I got my um, letter of appointment and after kind of conversation with the CEO and, and this, so I saw this. And the first piece was, well, there's so much synchronicity in this value and with my purpose. So then to your point then, to your question, well, what is my unique contribution that maybe somebody who's got a a different purpose or does not really, is not purpose-led, what is my unique contribution? So I see my unique contribution as giving expression, helping the business, our business to give expression to this value through the programs that we run, through how I show up, uh, through the team that I build, through the discussion that, you know, I drive and enable and participate in um, with my with my colleagues. And I see that as being unique. Well, I say it's just coincidence. I never planned it. I never thought about it, but that's kind of how it over kind of it overlaps, and um, and so it's been easy then to to drive it. And so every time, uh, I guess I'm focused on, you know, when the business started, um, there's been there's elements of build from within, but there's also been a strong element because we've been growing. It's been a strong element of uh, buying and getting people in, and um, the focus now is to help them. Uh, really make sure that we we build from within. We build, we give this expression to liberate the potential in people by allowing them to do great things. And I think, you know, the platform is laid for that. You know, there isn't heavy lifting for me to do, but just to 
really show up and and leverage that platform to bring reality to that to that motion. So what I hear you saying is that this is an organization for which when you looked at your purpose and you looked at its purpose and how it was manifesting it, you realized there was deep alignment between the two. And to become the chief people officer, which really is the core role of being the steward for the culture, would make complete sense because it was like a suit that was designed for you. Here's the interesting thing when I talk with individuals like yourself and we really, this is like after a couple of glasses of wine and all the sexy stuff is done and there's this conversation about Here's what I hear from a number of people is that they, at some point they feel like, you know, I've done all the really interesting stuff and now I'm a little bored. And then I say, well, that's interesting. So, and then we have a conversation and what we realize is that what they most love is when they're both really excited and a little scared at the same time. So my question for you is, is if you look at the work you're doing these days, where is it that you're both a little excited and a little scared? Because in some ways, that's the place purpose shows up. That's the place we have to lead because there is no path. So where am I, where am I a bit scared? And excited. Yeah, no, no, I, I was going to come to excited. If we think about the challenges that the pandemic has placed on us, there's been no playbook, Nick, uh, in how we, how we navigate it and address some of those challenges And we know that the gravity of the challenge is one of life or death, so so to speak. And trying to bring meaning and ensure that our people are still inspired and they're still contributing and they're still engaged in the right way is a challenge. I don't know whether I don't know. I don't, I don't know whether it's, it's actually scary, but it's it's a challenge because one of the things that does keep me awake at night in that context is the mental health that all our people are going through uh, during this let's say this period, right? So economy is suppressed, is tough. Uh, lots of different businesses are closing, and in within all of that. There is, there is opportunity to try, there is opportunity to impact people positively and make sure that they're mentally strong and resilient and by the way, they don't lose the perspective of still striving to realize their own, call it their own potential. And even for myself, I mean, with the challenge I face, like I said, there was no playbook. So uh, if I were to internalize my own purpose was... I've had to learn, I've had to uh, reach out to, you know, colleagues that are on the clinical side. Uh, I've, got to, I've, I've had to really increase my own knowledge and understanding. And in, in, in that regard, I guess, live my purpose a bit so that I can impact other people to be able to impact uh, the organization in a positive way. So that's what's been challenging. But in, at your point... Also extremely exciting because it comes back to, you know, even if we don't know lots of things, be having the right mindset and willing to learn, if I put it like that, even though we haven't faced these challenges, we'll be able to get through them, uh, through that. And so which, in a different way, I guess, it's if I believe in the notion of potential, 
and the liberation thereof, then it gives us any, it gives me energy, it will give us energy to come through on the other side and not uh, feel defeated by the pandemic. And that's been a very interesting experience to have, because I said, you know, I've had to learn and uh, have to move fast, but at the same time, it's been exciting to be able to uh, leverage, you know, learnings from all of different people. That's kind of how I would answer, you know, your, your question in, the, in that regard. I think my belief right now is that when we're both excited and scared is where purpose has to show up. Mm. You know, this was, if, I, if I look at your journey in life and I look at you and sometimes the way you communicate, it makes it sound like everything's easy and it's, everything's really good. Right. Not I'm not. Just, I don't think that that's not the case. I don't think that's not the case at the same time. But I also, my sense is that when that's the case for many people, I don't know how much they really have to use their purpose as much as it's. They're sort of. It's just. It's just flowing. Right. At the yeah. same time, I think when we're in a place where we're both excited and a little scared, we've got to really pull it out. If the suit is in the closet, we got to pull it out and we got to wear it and we got to fully wear it. And it's like. We got to hold on pretty tightly because there's not much solid ground to stand on otherwise. Because, as you're saying, within the COVID world and with mental health, and you know, I would think that being in the insurance business and financial wealth challenges and looking at the financial realities of the world and the businesses that people are in, and you know, if you have all your people sick and you can't run a business and what's the insurance claim? And I would think it would be very stressful for everybody, right? For the people yeah. on your side who know that you're determining whether somebody's livelihood will be continued or not. And for the other side of not knowing whether it's going to get approved or not and and trying to figure out how do you survive in this thing, right? You know, and, and Nick, in that regard, to your point, so if I kind of pivot to a business perspective, that's kind of where we've definitely seen the power of purpose. How so? It's quite funny that through all of these challenges, so when all of this broke out, our purpose informed the decisions and steps that we took. And there were really four areas that we decided to focus on. The first one, so back to you, know, if I remind, if remind you, right, as I said, Discovery's purpose to make people healthier, protect them, and keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then and then the, the other link to it was and be a, a powerful force for good. So yep. that's kind of how it all plays out. The powerful force for good came a little bit later. But how then the decisions we took were informed by that purpose. The first piece was we decided that we had to keep our people safe. And because that's linked directly, keep them healthy and keep them safe, because that's linked directly to the purpose. Mm-hmm. And the way it manifested was making sure that um, even though people were not fully occupied, we, we made sure that not, there was not going to be restructuring. Nobody was going to lose their job because of the pandemic. Secondly, uh, we had to make sure that for all our people that were high risk, with comorbidities and the like, that uh, immediately we moved them off campus, took them home. We took, you know, 85% 
of our employees were working from home. Why? Because it was part and parcel of keeping them safe. And, and, and then we invested in a whole lot of capabilities to make sure that we were able to run the business from home. And we've been able to do that. And we've had a, a solid set of kind of half-year results um, on the back of that. Then the second one was, you know, keeping our clients safe. And in our clients, then I talk about, you know, people that want our medical insurance, people that want short-term insurance, life insurance. And again, it, it followed the similar type of logic, right, which is what can we do to keep them safe? Some of them, we knew that livelihoods would be challenged. So performing a mechanism of giving them reprieve from, you know, a premium perspective so that you, know, you, you kept the premium not contributing without impacting their policies, right? When uh, we did that for about three to f- three, let's say at a minimum, definitely we did that for three months whilst we are under lo- hard lockdown in South Africa, we did the same thing in our UK business. So looking at clients and supporting them in that regard. The third one was looking at our partners because the, 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 the nature of the business is that also looks at partners where you know we've got those that sell our products on our behalf to clients. Okay. And as their businesses are fundamentally intertwined with okay. our businesses. And and if we needed to do the same, if we didn't support them, it was going to be a challenge. By the way, including doctors, right? That were sitting and providing services to our clients in terms of health and the like. Mm. So there we've also had to look at uh, how do we support those partners for sustainability continuity uh, during this, uh, these uh, difficult periods. And then I think the last one, which shows to the force for, force for good, was um, engaging with, there was a solidarity fund that was set up in South Africa. And uh, we all, as a business, we contributed financially to the solidarity fund because, you know, the economy was in a bad shape and we needed to support everybody. Not only that, though, but uh, executives, directors, and non-exec directors uh, forgoed their salaries for three months uh, in support of this solidarity. We also seconded capabilities where we've got doctors and, uh, for example, the, 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 the previous CEO of our health business was seconded to, uh, to the solidarity fund to provide capability, thought, leadership on how to navigate that, right? And uh, so, so this was really focused on being a force for good in society to make sure that, you know, you know, in South Africa specifically, in the UK, we are able to positively impact how we solution for the challenges that we face, you know, driven by the pandemic. So in a way, Nick, there's an example which is not about Zuelo as a purpose-led leader, but it's about an organization that's informed by purpose, making decisions that are not about uh, you know, profit or you know, financial outcome, but it's about you know, making sure that we realize and we live our purpose. We did that in all our geographies, right? So this was informed and it's been done. In, all, in the UK, they're the same plan. So whenever we were sharing with the board, we would kind of show this is what happens in the US, this is what happens in the UK, this is what happened in South Africa. And it was those four buckets for our own people, for our clients, for our partners, and for society. And um, that's where, you know, um, you sit come alive. 
And I must say, um, I feel fortunate to have been able to experience it that way. See, this is this is my real belief around purpose, is that if we take a company or we take an individual and we say, well, let's give you most everything you need and let's let you be really successful and wildly successful and everything's working. Nobody really needs any purpose at that point, really. Because it's all just, it's all working, right? It's all really great. And even if there's a purpose in your organization, do you really need to do anything with it? I don't know. It's like everything's really good. It's when things get really challenging that there's a existential choice that organizations have to make as to what is their real purpose. In some cases, organizations' real purpose is to try to make money, and they choose that. In others, like the what you're describing, they really go the extra mile to actually begin to live the purpose at a level that they haven't fully lived it. It's in some sense the gift of purpose is that it gives people a way of reframing it. There's a, a piece of research that was done recently on burnout, which you're referring to in the well-being and wellness issue. And as we know, burnout was already pretty bad before COVID, and COVID has only made it much, much, much worse. People are working longer hours and uh, spending way too much time on screens. And especially if you look at uh, people in the healthcare space, right, nurses dealing with COVID, the burnout is enormous. But what's been interesting is, is that the research showed that there's a direct inverse correlation between purpose and burnout, which is the more purpose you have, the less burnout you have, to the point where in one particular study, it turned out that 25% of the people in the study, 100 people who had a sense of purpose, 25 of them had no burnout. That's not to say that everybody with purpose didn't have some burnout, but 25 of them had none, which didn't show up anywhere else. So it's really interesting how it becomes more, I mean, it, its gift shows up when everyone, all the other lights are out. And I think it's a beautiful acknowledgement of the organization that you work for, that it's doing this. And I think it's also a powerful acknowledgement of you and the choice you made to be the chief people officer which I'm sure um, in all the things you're talking about, you were intimately involved in some of the decisions that needed to be made, yes? Mm. So it wasn't like you sat back and watched it all. My sense is, is that you were fully engaged in helping everyone make the right choice. Mm. Yeah? I mean, Sweela, you're a little, sometimes you're, you're not, you don't give yourself credit probably for what you may have done. But I think it's a beautiful story of, you know, we think of insurance entities as being cold, heartless entities, right, for the most part. And what you're describing is an organization that has a big heart and has a societal responsibility that it was stepping into, which makes it much more interesting as to what does it mean to be a company when you really feel that ownership. So, I mean, you've worked for companies that are multinational, corporate, big organizations, and now you work for a company that's much more um, within its own societal ecosystem. So final words, my friend, what would you like to share with those listening? So just just on the on the company thing on you know Pepper's led, right? I'll also say it's interesting how those organizations that are informed by a different type of purpose, if I put it like that, yeah. always thriving and doing exceptionally well. 
when the, the purpose is not financial, but it's much bigger. You, you identify big opportunities to make an impact and make a difference. And because that's what you do, actually you become even more successful. Um, you know, so that success actually becomes an outcome rather than kind of being the primary objective. So that's one thing that I'm seeing. And then I think, uh, Nick, the, 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 the kind of the, the last one kind of comment personally is that I am grateful for the journey that I've been on. Part of it, where the likes of yourself have helped me crystallize because up until I did the you know the program with you, I hadn't crystallized that this is what my purpose is. And by doing that and engaging uh, with a number of other people, you've helped me make it front and center. And what I really, really appreciate and love is that for me, it also comes through, you know, I could have spoken about my family, you know, I've got three girls, and this purpose that I'm, that's informing how I live and what I do also shows up through my girls, you know, in terms of can I really help them and liberate their potential and uh, help them be, have build that self-confidence. You know, so I've seen it manifest in so many spaces. My parents, you know, uh, it was interesting, right? That says, well, I'm the child, they're the parents, yet they, I've liberated the potential through experiences that I've given them. That, you know, today my dad will say, you know what, oh, because of this, I've got to learn this about myself, I've got to like this about myself, I've got to do better in this regard. So my last words is this purpose stuff is extremely powerful. And I wish for all of us and others to really play with it, get into it, understand what it is for you. And, and when you find out what it is for you, really lean into it because it's fuel, if I may put it like that. For me, it gives me fuel. It gives me the energy to, uh, to continue and show up in the right way. And for that, I'm extremely grateful and appreciative for those that have played a role in making me realize it and helping me live it uh, every day. Well, you're welcome. Given my purpose is to wake you up and have you truly, truly be home, I feel like I achieved that in our journey together. So, Suelo, I want to thank you for this time together and uh, welcome all of those listening to join us as we continue this journey together. So thank you for having this conversation, Suelo. Nick, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for the reflection. It's been good. <laughs>